Welcome in everyone to Up and Down, a disc golf analytics podcast on the Statmando Podcast Network. I'm Jesse, joined as usual by Joey. Hello. We're the nerds who run this thing, and we have a very exciting episode today because joining us on the mic today, all the way in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, outside of Planet Fitness, is Andrew Marweed. Andrew, how's it going, dude? It's going pretty good. Thanks for having me on. For sure. So you said you are in South Carolina, uh, heading into the Myrtle Beach Open, is it, or is it something else? Yep, that's it. Sweet. Anything, uh, any other plans you got in mind while you're there, or is it kind of just a quick head in, kill the tournament, head out kind of deal? Well, actually, uh, Lindsay and I just got done. Uh, we were golfing at the Myrtle Beach National. Oh, sweet. So, yeah, that was, that was pretty fun. Oh, that's awesome. I just, just played some golf this weekend, and uh, it was probably only my second or third time playing this year, so it felt good to shake off some rust, yeah. but yeah, yeah, cool. Just got to get in the in the mental headspace for the tournament, so that's what, we, that's what we do. That makes sense. That's a good way to do it. <laughs> and Lindsay plays with you, too, so that's cool. No, she she was just riding with me, having oh, a good time. Sure. It's, it, was, yeah, it was kind of a cold day, but it was nice and sunny out. Yeah, that's still cool. I don't think I could ever get my wife to come just hang on a golf cart with me for four hours playing 18. So, hey, (laughs) props. Speaking of, speaking of, so we know, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm sure you probably know who Andrew is. Uh, We'll just give it to you straight. If you don't know who he is, this is the guy who just set the single season record for C1X percentage this year. And, you know, we're here not only for him to share some insight into how this season came to be, uh, but Joey and I have done some number crunching, and as we've been known to do, you know, that's kind of our thing, number crunching here. Uh, and Andrew, you are going to be the first person to hear some pretty insane stats that we've come up with looking through the data. Uh, but like you mentioned, you and Lindsay, some quality time before your big event, uh, recently engaged, am I correct? Yep, so how, correct, how yeah. long ago was that? Uh, it was just under a couple months. It was when we were in Vermont for the world championships. Nice. So fun fact, yeah. Joey, Joey was there with his wife watching as a spectator. So very cool. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So not only did Joey get earlier, uh, married earlier this year, but I also just did as well. I got married about a month ago. So we've both been there. We've both done that very recently. We've got to ask you, have you already started doing any wedding planning or is it too early? Can't think about it right now. Uh, Probably very minimal at this point. I think, you know, we got this week and next week, and then it's officially technically the off season. So we're going to dive hard into that then, you know, not too much right now, but very soon, of course. Yep. I would say that's a good idea. Take it from me. My wife and I were engaged for three years before we finally got married. So don't rush it. Just, it's not, (laughs) it's not worth the stress. Just do it at your own pace, you know? So very cool. Very cool. Uh, other than the wedding planning, any other big plans for the off season? Uh, not too much. You know, we're, um, like I said, we're headed to, to Florida next week. We might stay an extra week just for another week of warm weather and whatnot. But, uh, our only plans right now are just to head back to Michigan and see some family for the holidays and whatnot, and then wait for the rest of the eight year schedule to come out to figure out what we're doing next year. Huh. I did not realize that the A-tier schedule was not out yet. It makes sense. I mean, for the DGPT schedule, I guess you got to get that out really early so people can make plans and stuff. And yeah, I guess it just didn't even occur to me that the A-tier schedule wouldn't have been out. So yeah. Yeah, it's 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 usually this uh, time of year. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it came out this week. It's usually pretty consistent. Gotcha. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, we've got a pretty long agenda here today, Uh, depending. I mean, we could go through it pretty fast. We might not. I'm going to assume that we're going to go down some rabbit holes we haven't predicted. So I'd rather get right to the nitty gritty sooner than later. Uh, What where we want to start off here. Now, if someone listening doesn't realize last year, 2022, you set the record for C1X percentage in a single DGPT season. Uh, for you, the qualifier DGPT season did not really change the numbers very much because I think pretty much every event that we could find for you that was on Udisc Live was a DGPT event. 
But for other players, as we bring in their stats as well, um, for the most part in this episode, anytime we say a stat for anyone, not just you, Andrew, but for anyone, um, it is only going to take into account the DGPT events that they played. So general disclaimer that we'll get out of the way there. Um, let's see. So like I said, last year, uh, you had the record for circle 1x percentage at just over 32 per, 32 percent 92%. Yeah, 32 would be pretty <laughs> abysmal. Uh, 92.39 is where you clocked in at. And this year, clocked in even slightly higher, beating your own C1x record, this time coming in at 92.65%. Uh, just crazy numbers, and we'll get into what other DGPT players have been doing just to really emphasize like how much of a spread there is between you and everyone else. But where I want to start before bringing any other players into this is just comparing this season and last season for you, because just looking at the raw numbers, just your circle one X percentage in particular, you did have a slightly higher C one X percentage this year than last year. Uh, a difference of like a quarter of a percentage point or so. But you did have a few more attempts last year than you did this year. And mm -hmm. it, it was only 44 <clears throat> fewer attempts this year. So 626 this year compared to 670 last year. Uh, it doesn't sound like it really makes a huge difference, but the attempts matters if you have a guy who putts like a hundred percent, for example, but they only played two events and they maybe had 45 attempts, you don't really want to consider that the greatest season of all time, you know? Sure. So, yep. you know, a, a season with more attempts, you could argue that that is more impressive to maintain such a high percentage over, over a longer stretch. Uh, your two seasons, last year and this year, are, are kind of interesting because you had the higher percentage just barely this year, but you had a few more attempts last year. So in your mind, and Joey and I will weigh in on this after we get your opinion, but in your opinion, which of those two seasons stands out to you as the more impressive one? Like if you could only be remembered for one of those two seasons... Would you take the slightly higher overall number or the season where you were able to sustain a similarly high success for a little bit longer duration? Yeah, that's actually a pretty good question. I think, um, like, just off the top of my mind, I, I think I would go with the slightly higher percentage, even though it's probably only maybe a tournament and a half mm -hmm. less, you know, putts, I guess, from Circle One. You could look at it that way. Um, but I, I think... And I'm not sure what the number is, you know, but as long as, you know, you say you play three quarters of the tour, at least, you know, like you said, if you're only playing a couple tournaments and you putt really good, it wouldn't make sense. But um, I think that because it was still the majority of the tour, even though it was 40 less putts, I, I think I give the slight edge to the slightly higher percentage because it was still a very large number of attempts. Joey, but I think, oh, yeah, yeah go, go ahead, ahead, go ahead. I was going to say it was kind of a um, a different tale of the two seasons because I remember last year, the first half of the season, I started out not as good, you know, to my expectations, of course. And then I ended up switching plastic types for my putters halfway through the season. And that's kind of when I had a couple really good runs where I, I think there was a time or two where I went, you know, two to three tournaments without missing a putt. So the, the last half of last year was, you know, really what bumped me up to that number where this year was pretty more more consistent throughout the entirety of the year yeah that's that's definitely true and, and we noticed that exact same thing and i i've got to agree with you i think the higher number takes the cake i think at some point you've got enough attempts that it, it almost doesn't matter the di the difference between you know 30 or 40 more putts if if you hit the higher percentage i think that takes the cake there i i agree with you there um and You've certainly got plenty of attempts here. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that take. I, I would give it to you this year. And I like what you said about last year where it kind of felt like you had like two different putting seasons, right? You kind of started out slow and then really brought it in at the end of last year. And 
you actually kind of did that this year too, but to a lesser degree. Um, sure. Um, but Jesse's got some good stats about that. But yeah, I think I agree with you. I think the more consistent season you had this year to finish at a higher percentage is, is definitely more impressive. Yeah, that makes, makes three for three because I also thought this season was, if I had to pick one season as like the best of all time, I think I would go with this one just because it held that consistency for the whole thing, had the slightly higher number, that gets the vote from me. Case closed. That's it. Case closed, man. Yeah, Joey and I are going to say that's the best C1X season of all time. We'll leave you to whatever opinion you want. You know, if you don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, I'm the greatest, then we won't make you say it. But for Joey and I, hands down. We'll say it. Um, (laughs) All right, cool. I'm glad we're all on the same page. So uh, we've got more to discuss about your season and your historical dominance and all that. But let's get to some other types of, of questions for a bit. We'll we'll grill you with the hard stuff, but some lighter questions to kind of get us there. So this is this is one of the most important questions I was looking forward to asking you as soon as we knew that you were going to be here. You are known for the cookie marker. That's like the signature Marweed. That's your signature. I got to ask, what do you look for in a cookie, both to eat as a snack? but particularly one that you're going to use as a marker? That's a good question. It, it um, not a whole lot, you know, obviously I've, I've probably not probably, I have only done chocolate chip. So as long as it's chocolate chip and it fits the, you know, the size requirements for a mini. And then as long as you make sure it doesn't fall apart in the bag or on the ground, and it's all in one piece, then you're good to go. It's not too much thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, did, as far as making sure you got a cookie that doesn't fall apart, my instinct would be to go for the Chips Ahoy, but those tend to run kind of small, so I don't know if those would meet the yeah. size requirements. I, I think my last two were uh, probably a Subway cookie and like KFC or something, if I were to guess. Ooh. Okay, Subway cookies are pretty yeah. big. That's uh, Those that, are, yeah. You can't just jam your 60 putter and then put that down in one bite. That's that's a multi-biter yeah, you, you for you got to sure. make sure... You got to make sure it doesn't crumble in the bag before you get to like hole 12 and make a putt, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, has that ever happened to you? You like go to put down the cookie and it's just in shambles? Yeah, I think uh. the, I can't, I, I don't do it too often. You know, I try to, you know, only do it a few times a year to not overdo it. Yeah, by any means. yeah. But I think that the last time I had like a three pack from Subway and at least one of them wasn't really good to use. So luckily I had some backups. There you go. Got to have backups. How did that whole thing start? The The whole cookie thing? Um, I, I had a, a buddy from back home. This was my first year on tour. I think it was my very first coverage on Jomez, like 2019 Texas States. And uh, he, he was talking about it. Well, no, it wasn't. Uh, the, the first time I did it at Texas States, it didn't get noticed. The first time I got famous was the following year at Green Mountain. Um, and that was an actual cookie. So I just had a buddy who said, uh, he suggested it. He said I wouldn't do it. You know, figured <laughs> might as well. So. Chalk that up as another another good story that starts with you won't do it. So yep. yeah, exactly. Nice, right. nice. All right, taking a slightly different route here. Uh, have you seen? Have you like paid really close attention to what next year's schedule looks like? And is there anything about the changes to the schedule next year that stands out to you? Yeah, actually, I got a picture of it. So let me look at it really quick. I know. Yeah, with No Vegas is the big one. Yeah, probably starting um, in Florida. Yeah, no, it's going to be tough to get to because we were hoping to go to Arizona again for the early off season, you know, but mm-hmm. we'll figure that out. But um, I don't mind not playing Vegas. You know, I like, um, I think they improve the courses every year, you know, switching it up and a few holes and whatnot. But I, I never necessarily enjoyed those courses, especially for it being so windy. And I'm not really a fan of ball golf course style anyways. So uh, it doesn't really hurt my feelings that we're not playing that one. I don't know how anyone else feels, of course, but that's my opinion. Um, shoot, I can't actually find the picture of the tour schedule now, thinking about it. But what else is different that we're not playing? Do you remember? No silvers. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Oh, yeah, I didn't point. even know no that. Silvers. Yeah. Yeah, It's it, it was kind of strange because it's they had so many silver series this year, you know, and that was like only like four counted. So you could, if you wanted to play, you know, all whatever it was, 12, it was only a very small percentage of them actually counted towards your point standings for the year. And I think just getting rid of that in general is 
probably not a bad thing. You know, I'm sure a lot of the lower rated players trying to make it on tour or trying to get a tour card spot necessarily don't like it because that's their chance to, you know, yeah, get yeah. some good points and be able to actually, you know, just enter a tournament. Cause it's so hard to get into pro tours nowadays with so many good players. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I think the only other real standout about the schedule that I can remember was just the world's location. Not, I don't know if that's really a schedule thing, but going to be in Lynchburg this year. So <laughs> just looking at the map, it was so funny. There's just, there's no events on the West coast. You know, I'm an Arizona guy, so I, I like seeing something out here just to have something to go to if it's in Arizona, especially, but not to be. I yeah. Suppose. You only have the, you only have OTB Portland and Beaver state over there. Everything else is yeah on the East side kind of, you know, so, but and then I guess the other the super big change is, is Champions Cup coming after the Pro Tour Championship. Right. Yes, yeah. I forgot about that. That's yeah, very be, bizarre. That's going to be wild so, to like play Champions Cup and then like four months later play it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not, not until this time actually next year. So right. yeah, yeah, it's a long time from now. Yeah. All right, how about favorite and least favorite events on tour? So let's do favorite first because that's way easier. Of course. <clears throat> um, top three, and it's going to be hard to pick one, but top three are pretty easy. Um, <clears throat> Ledgestone, Idlewild, and Green Mountain. Cool. Uh, those have, Ever since I've started, those are definitely the three that I always look forward to playing each year. You know, it makes sense. They're they're more wooded than not. And, and then I, I jump right into my least three favorite and, you know, pick any three that are on a ball golf course and those are going to be my least three favorite. Sure, sure. Just just because how long it is, you know, the only disc you're touching all around is a driver. Yeah. That's not my favorite thing to do. So, like, uh, I haven't played OTB yet, but, like, you know, Portland. And I know there's really – think about it. There's not really any – bad courses on tour because they're on tour because they're good courses so but but least favorite to play for sure yeah understandable for sure yeah yeah Yeah. interesting jesse you want to jump back into some stats oh we can do it so we got a whole section of what we're calling quick stats here these are basically just cool at face value we're not necessarily asking for prolonged discussion on any of these they they pretty much just speak for themselves so let's just get right into it to start obviously we know that you set the record c1x putting you did it in 626 attempts which is pretty good like looking at other players who are playing a lot of events the average tends to be between like a 500 to upper 600s type number uh, your 626 tends to run a little higher than average. You have some guys like Gannon Burr who just play every event that, that they see and they have like 800 attempts, but that's that's definitely the exception. Uh, you're definitely above average sure. there. And, you know, maintaining, maintaining so many attempts and having the very high C1X percentage obviously makes it even that much more impressive. You actually missed your first and last C1X putt of the year, which means that you had your 580 made putts in a consecutive stretch of 624 attempts rather than just looking at the 626. So if we just take that large consecutive streak of 624, your percentage actually goes up to 92.95. So close. To 93. Couldn't get 93. Just couldn't yep. squeak couldn't into 93. <laughs> but over a span of over 600 attempts to be that close to 93, uh, definitely I've never seen that before. So very, very cool. Uh, Joey, hit us with one. What you got? Yeah, I, I'll add a tiny bit on that last one. Keep in mind, if we're, you know, if we're under 1,000 attempts, one putt is like more than 0.1 percentage points, right? So, I mean, we're talking about making like five more putts, right? Is like the difference between 92 and 90, 93, you know, for some of these players and uh, especially you. So it's, it's really crazy how, how consistent you are, first of all, but even just that it's like that close, you know? Um, but next stat music city open round one was the only time that you three putted the whole season this year. Really? really got it out of the way that. early. 
Got it out of the way. You did it three times in 2022. Once at LVC. So you're probably glad that that's gone. But I actually remember that <laughs> that one, that very specific scenario. It was, <laughs> anyways, keep going. Yeah. Um, and you also did it twice uh, in round two of Ledgestone. Do you remember that last year? Last one? No, no, I don't. What happened at LVC? Oh, I just remember super specifically. Uh, um, it was, I don't know which hole it was, but it was on a mound, you know, and I, you know how that yep, goes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I remember banning one from. I think there was, there, there were both for the three putt. Usually, it's some kind of roll away. You'd think, you know, but I remember there, it was two consecutive like twenty footers just banded and rolled straight back to me. I remember it very specifically. Yep. <laughs> All right, we're going to keep it early season here. So I've got a stat. In Texas State's round three, to effectively close out the round, I'm looking at holes 11 through 17 in that final round. You went on a seven-hole birdie streak, which, you know, at face value right there, that's pretty good. But what really stood out to me about that stretch, aside from, you know, it's in the closing stretch of the last round of this tournament, are the throw-in distances of these seven consecutive birdies. So I'm going to rattle these off for you. 27, 38, 27, 27, 38, 27, and then the 60 ball right in the close. So my question, like if I did this, right, I would be telling the story about this for years. But for someone who plays in so many high-profile events, makes so many putts, I have to ask, do you even remember doing this? No, I don't <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah, okay. fair enough. I, I can't blame you there. I, I, I feel like I do remember the, the, the long putt on 18, though, because that's uh, the elevated one in the corner. So yeah, I feel like yeah. I do remember that one, but <clears throat> yep. not not the hole so far, though, no. Fair enough, fair enough. All right. I've right. We're going to jump into a little bit bigger of one here. Uh, this is a this yeah. is a heavy hitter. So, again, talking about DGPT only. So we went through the trouble of pulling all of the circle one and circle two makes and misses for, you know, all the high level players that we would expect to be in this conversation. And I'm looking at DGPT career putting percentages. So this is like every DGPT event that you and everybody else has ever played. Okay. You you are first, so I don't know if you knew that, but you are definitively the you have the highest career putting percentage in DGPT history. You are the only player over ninety percent, and it's not that close. So most Did not know most that. of those those big names that you would expect, you know, Corey, Eagle, Paul, are all in the mid eighty sevens. Gannon is like barely over eighty eight. And you're at 90.3. Nice. Got broke 90. You broke 90. You're the only player that has a DGPT career putting percentage over 90%. And just to give you some perspective on that, assuming that you, you know, finish next year and your career putting percentage is, is exactly the same as it is now. If Corey were to shoot the same number of attempts that he did this year, next year, even if he made every single one, he wouldn't pass your career percentage. <laughs> if Gannon shot the same number of attempts that he did this year, he would have to shoot almost 96%. 95.5% he would have to shoot to to take over your your career putting percentage. How does it how does it feel like I like like you said you didn't realize that like is that I imagine that's a cool thing to hear. For sure that's super cool. Yeah, it's uh obviously the one thing that I strive on you know being at the top level is you know especially close putting because you know if, if you move back to circle two uh, there's a lot less things that are you know in your control of making putts obviously but um in circle one i really feel like if you're in the circle you know you should be able to make it so i'm never you know really happy making a putt i'm only mad if i miss which is unfortunate but, right right yeah what's interesting about comparing the career percentages to Gannon too, is that he does not have as many events under his belt as you do. So, which actually favors him in this argument, right? Because if he was a 10 year veteran, whose career putting numbers were what 
they are now, let's say like 88% or whatever it is, then there's no way that no matter what he did next year, his career numbers would pass Marweed because that season would influence his career numbers so little, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. It, it helps that he has fewer attempts here, right? That's that's really the only right. reason he's in firing distance. And the only other person that could realistically do it is is Eagle, and he would have to shoot better than 98%. So pretty, pretty insane. And it, that brings me to my next question. What do you, like, realistically, what do you think is the best C1X percentage that a player could have, you know, in a season, you know, take into account whether obstructed putts, spit outs, you know, stuff like that, the stuff you can't control? What, what do you think, like, the, the top end of it is? Now, did you say uh, take into fact those things or take those yeah. out of the take question? It, take it into equation. account. Take it into account. Yep. Take it stuff. into account. Yep. Okay. So I think... Um, you know, and this is the point of, you know, what's the quali- qualifying number? You know, is this question saying yeah, a person plays every event? You know, if if the answer is, you know, you know, uh, slightly above average to a person, you know, so it plays at least two thirds of the events. Yep. I think if you were to pick and choose the one third of the events where not necessarily, you know, it's going to be windy, but if you just don't play open style courses, sure. so you have a slight advantage to only, you know, have the potential to play less windy courses. Um, and I think 95 or 96, you know, is, is potential. It's doable. It's not very likely of course, but, um, you know, everyone has a good stretch where, you know, they don't miss a putt for a tournament or two or something like that, you know? So you just have a few of those in a row and then you don't, you don't play every single event and I could see it being possible, just not likely. So to help answer that question from a slightly different perspective, you didn't miss a whole lot of putts this year, 46 to be exact. But of those 46, were there any of those putts that you walked up to and just said, like, I can't make this putt? Whether it's you have a 50-mile-an-hour headwind in your face, like at MVP, or you're behind a giant boulder, like hole nine at Fox Run, like just the putt's crazy obstructed. Um, yeah. Or, you know, you hit one center of the pole and it just spits back out at you like did you have any of these things happen to you this year sure so um i think unmakeable putts you know probably you know less than a few of it just being an impossible angle where i had to lay up you know i i don't i don't lay up very often because you know i i have to make the putts that people lay up otherwise i fall behind in standings because you know my lack of driving accuracy you know the way i get gain strokes is through putting so i I, you know can't afford to lay up so which is you know beneficial to making more obviously but um Mm -hmm. so like if it's too windy or something like that you know i'm I'm still going to run it i just understand the consequences of it could possibly go 40 feet past the basket if i miss or something like that but uh for the spit outs part though I, i i don't i don't really get too many spit outs obviously i complain about spitting out after I miss, you know, to Lindsay or something like that. But it was probably not centered, you know, it was off to the side and I just thought it was a spit out or something, but I I didn't really have any slice throughs and I don't have too many um, times where it hits the pole and bounces out. I think my style of putt is uh, a little more generous on the, on the chain. So I'm not someone who jams it in there and gets those spit outs. So it helps me to catch those, you know, corner spots and stuff better and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I'm sure there's obviously some putts that could have stayed and, you know, super tricky putts where if I had an open look, you know, I probably would have, could have made it type of thing, but you never know. Right. And one thing we didn't even mention is, you know, players who are on the final hole and they've got a three stroke lead. Think like Paul Macbeth when Worlds was at Emporia, right? It, that final putt he had on the playoff hole, probably like 30 feet. But he's got the water back there. He can lay up and win worlds. Like you're not gonna. That's a good point. You're just yeah. gonna lay up, but it counts as a C1 miss, right? Like that hurt his numbers technically. Sure. Um, I disagree with that. I mean, I don't think that should count towards your attempts. But neither here nor there. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Also, another thing I was thinking about was when when you were talking about uh, you know Gannon and Paul and put Ricky up there too is. 
uh, you know, all of their circle one, circle two attempts are usually, you know, on lead chase card, a lot of pressure, you know, a, a lot of people, it helps sure, them. Yeah. I'm sure with those top, top guys, they thrive under the, you know, lead card, chase card pressure of making sure you have to hit those putts. But also, you know, I have a, a 25 footer and I'm trying to get into, you know, tie for 25th or something like that, a little less pressure on making that 25 footer than it might be sure. for them as well to give them a little bit of credit, you know, cause they're always on top and I'm usually fighting to get on top. Not usually there though. Sure. That's, sure. that's a great point. Yeah. The not, not every putt is created equal, right? Even all, all else the sure. same, just the pressure in the moment changes it. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. But then again, that, you know, if I'm in, if I'm in that place, I'm usually teeing off around 12 or one when it's super windy and they got teeing off at three or three thirty or something. But right. Every day sure, is different yeah. with, you know, winds throughout the day, but it's hard to, hard to factor in, you know, who's got the windier rounds. And I speak about wind a lot because obviously that's the number one thing with putting is, oh yeah, you know. Oh, for sure. Is the wind and how it affects it for sure, yeah. So I, I've got a fun one. I, I'm going to wrap your teammates in for this stat, and I, I think you'll get a kick out of this. So I mentioned this. Uh, you only missed 46 C1X1. CX one, you only missed forty six C one X putts this year. You played in fifty eight rounds, so you averaged less than one miss per round. So that's pretty good. If we assume, because we don't know this for sure, the the data is just not there. If we assume that all forty six of those missed putts were in deep circle one, so between twenty two and thirty three feet we can calculate what your percentage is from specifically 22 to 33 feet. That number is 77.56%. And again, that has the caveat that all 46 of those misses were from between 22 and 33. And we don't know for sure that that's true. 77.56 becomes that number for your percentage the actual numbers there are 205 attempts with 159 makes. That number for you last year was about two percentage points lower, coming in at 75.6. So very cool. But that's not all. I'm going to give you a who's who of people whose C1X percentage is less than your deep circle one percentage. That list includes (laughs) Zacharias Johnson, Jake Hebenheimer, Albert Tom, Silas Schultz, Aaron Gossage, Garrett Gerthy, Nico LaCastro, and last but not least, your teammate, Austin Turner. So I hope you give him all the crap in the world for that. And it gets better if we assume that just one of those 46 missed putts was closer than 22 feet, whether you want to admit it or not, your percentage it would go up. For sure. <laughs> your deep C1 percentage would go up just a little bit because we take one of those misses out of there. And now we can safely say that Austin Hannum has also fallen victim to being less than your deep circle 1%. So (laughs) congratulations on that. You have some bragging rights. Uh, I expect to hear them coming back to us and saying, why did you publicize these numbers? But (laughs) I thought thought you might have some fun with that. Getting that out of there. Yeah. 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 (laughs) <laughs> hey so there's a little game we like to play sad, oh it yeah cool. it's a good yeah. one there's a little game we like to play we call guess the stat so it's a little fun thing where we kind of turn it around on you and you know we'll ask you the question you know how many this how many that um okay and, sure. and see if you can guess no pressure at all but so to kick it off here here's a here's a fun one you played 58 pro tour rounds this year how many of those rounds do you think you were perfect from C1X, meaning, you know, no no misses in the circle? 58 yeah. total. I missed 40-something, so I'm going to say 58. Probably just under half. No, maybe a little less than that. 58. Let's go 27. It is exactly it. 27. Five. Wow. Oh, it Nailed was 27? It. No way. It, it was is, 27. Right it is exactly 27. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah, um, maybe we just retire there, and uh, Andrew, you go down as our guess the stat eternal champion. Perfect record. There we go. <laughs> nice. I did try to change it to 25 last second, but no, that's we'll all take right. it. No, one no, for no. one. You, the buds are already sounded. We're yeah. good. 
That was a good guess. Yeah, nice For guess. reference, last year you also played in 58 DGPT rounds uh, if we do not account for the Tour Championship. So just for the sake of making the numbers equal, I'm going to say screw the Tour Championship, we won't count it. Uh, in those 58 events in 2022, you did it 28 times. So you, you did slightly... You did get one more, but it was so heavily weighted to the back half of the season. 20 of your final 26 rounds were perfect in 2022. 20 of 26. So, I mean, you noticed that you got really hot at the end of that season, and the numbers completely agree with that. Yeah, that was definitely uh, it, it was something. Cause you, you, you know, you don't notice if it's not as big difference, but it was definitely noticeable for me, the, the last, at least last half-ish of the season for sure. And I'm sure it's in your mind because you know that you switched putter plastics, right? Like you had something yeah. that you could kind of directly tie it to maybe. So that might help that stick in there. Exactly. Too. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. So we mentioned 58 rounds, 27 perfect, which means 31 of those rounds were not perfect. Do you have a guess as to in those 31 rounds where you missed at least one putt, how many of them do you think you missed multiple C1 putts? Ooh, out of... 31. Out of 31? Um, missed multiple. Probably less than 10, but not too many. So we'll go, we'll go 8. Or, yeah, 8 sounds good. So the answer is 10. Oh, it's close. Um, which, I guess probably reflects like not having a lot of those three putts, right? Like sure, you yeah. weren't, you weren't having these huge blowups where you get a lot of misses in single rounds. They were kind of spread out a little more than you might've thought. So yeah, that is cool. This year, the last round that you played where you missed multiple C1 putts was all the way back on July 1st. It was round two of the preserve. So it's been a long time. That was for that was for last year, you said? No, that was this year. Oh, this year. That was the last time, really? Wow. Yeah. So pretty Not cool. <laughs> so yeah. rather than uh, focusing on the misses, we'll focus on the makes here for a second. What do you think was the most C1X putts that you made in a row? As a hint, I will tell you it spans across events. So maybe it didn't feel like a streak because you got practice rounds in between events and things like that. But from our perspective, it was a consecutive streak. Hmm. That's a good question. I feel like I didn't have, if I, if I did have um, a streak, it was pr probably only one tournament where I just didn't miss a putt for an entire tournament. I don't think I really got to multiple events doing that. So Number of C1s in a row. Man, I don't even know how many C1s you're supposed to make in a tournament. Um, so on average, we'll go, you were attempting like 10 putts per round, 10 C1X putts per round. So in okay, a three-round tournament, you're looking at like 30 in a row if you had a perfect three-round tournament. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go 40. 41. Okay, I thought for a second you were going to say 44. The answer is 44. Now, Good guess. Okay, it's pretty close. Uh, that was the back half of Worlds followed by MVP. MVP, you started out 40 for 40, and then on hole 17 ended up being your last C1X attempt of the season, and that was the one that you didn't make. So very close to... For sure. Yeah. So very close to going into next year with a active 45 consecutive putt streak. But unfortunately, you get to start that streak fresh at zero. Zero, yeah. Now, last year, do you happen to know what your longest streak was last year? We've publicized it. I know. It was, uh, so maybe know. you've seen it. I know it. it was more. So I think it was, um, <clears throat> it was around uh, Des Moines. I know that's probably in it because I remember I put it really yeah. good then. Or if not, yes, it, was it was just after it, maybe. I, th I think uh, it was in it. I think it was, yeah. I, I think the streak was 
at least a couple tournaments. So I think it, it was probably almost double of the 44. So we'll go 88. 93. I, I, yeah. I think you had three consecutive events where you didn't miss one. Yeah, so. and I missed the, the last putt on your ledge stone. It's always either the first putt or the last putt. I'm sure that's the same with everybody, though. <laughs> yeah, it was the last putt of ledge stone, and I think had you made that one at ledge stone, it would have been a perfect 50 for 50. And we do not have enough uh, technology to crunch the numbers, but I would wager that probably would have been the most made putts for a perfect tournament in DGPT history. I just can't imagine that anyone would have had more. No, that's a lot but of attempts. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Especially if it's going to be in four rounds, too, helps. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Exactly. So you've played 68 total Pro Tour events in your career. And obviously you're familiar with uh, the way that the strokes gain, strokes lost stats work. Um, how many times do you think you've lost strokes to the field in C1X? You've got 68 events. How many of those did you lose strokes to the field? So you would be less than, less than zero strokes gained C1X. Gotcha. I'm happy that question wasn't about driving. With putting, I'm, I'm sure it's pretty low. Um, uh, 68, maybe like four times, five times. Yeah, the answer is three. Good guess. Three, nice. Yeah, one of which... And this, was... one's, this one's kind of funny because one of them is the 2021 Tour Championships. And I think he only played like two rounds in that. And yeah, uh, obviously yeah. the strength of the field is much higher. So, you know, that one may even have an asterisk, you could argue. And then the other two are both Ledgestone, one of which was 2022 and one of which was 2018. 2018, I think that was my first Pro Tour ever. I, yes, yes it was. It was the only DGPT event you had that season. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I thought it was funny when you said that Ledgestone, like right off the bat, you were like, "Yeah, that's one of my favorite events." I mean, I, like I get it from the perspective of the courses and the hype around that event and everything, but it was just funny because I knew I knew that stat, right? And uh, I just wasn't expecting you to. I thought that was going to be like near the bottom, but that would have been very yeah, short-sighted well, yeah. of me, I suppose. It makes sense because they, you know, they always got so many raised baskets, especially at a. Uh... At, at just graph sponsored events, they love their raised baskets there, so makes yep. it a little Oh, interesting! I never uh, made that association between discraft and the the raised baskets. It's kind of interesting. I like it, that. It might not be. I just I just think of you know Ledgestone and D Glow. There's probably sure, another one sure. that comes to mind, but, it, um, Lots but of that just that's just yeah. approach we're in general. I feel like they're adding another raised basket per course every year, almost. You know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Do you have 20... any strong opinions on that either way? Uh, I do not like raised baskets. I think okay. uh, if there is going to be one, it, you know, there's it's probably a very specific hole that needs it to be a little bit tougher or mm. something like that. But if it's if it's more than two for eighteen holes, that's just it gets a little ridiculous. Sure. Yeah. But I think the I think having raised baskets is not a problem. Just you know, having it having eight raised baskets is you know a huge problem. Yeah, there's there's got to be a design intent, right? There's got to be a good reason for it. Exactly, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I buy that. All right. Do you want to jump back into a couple questions as we kind of kind of start wrapping up here? Yeah, let's go. For yeah, it. let's do it. Let's do it. So, from Joey and I's perspective, you know, we're kind of like we say at the intro, we're the nerds who run this thing. We do not get to be out on the course playing these events with you guys, but we sort of get to live vicariously through it by looking at the stats and being kind of nerdy in that way. After a round or after an event or whatever the case is, are you the kind of guy that is going into your UDIS scorecard and you're eagerly checking those stats and really looking them over or uh, not so much? Um... To an extent, sure, but I think it's just because of like how nice and accessible the UDISC app is. Because obviously, you know, after the, every round, we have to confirm everyone's scores, and then 
you know, at the has to link with the UDISC um, score themselves, you know. So, at, you know, the the second you're done on 18 and scores are confirmed, it's already on UDISC, and you just click, you know, onto your score and tells you every single stat you have. So it, it's very easy just to, you know, look at it right after the round and, and notice, you know, good or bad. Sure. Are there any people you know, you know, other other touring players and stuff that are really into the stats and, you know, really track it or watch it or talk a lot about the stats? Uh, not too much um, that I know of personally. Um, I remember Thomas Gilbert probably, uh, you know, a year or two ago talking to him about, about it and stuff like that. But um, I don't personally know too, too too many people that are you know super into it. I would super say, but I, I've always found it interesting looking at the numbers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would say that doesn't surprise me a whole lot. I I would imagine, especially like in your case, right? You finish a round, you didn't miss a whole lot of putts. You kind of know what holes went bad for you and what ones didn't. Like, I, I guess I don't know like if you were to go into the stats, I don't even know what you're looking for because your round is so fresh in your head. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know that there's the need to like, you just played it. You just lived it. Right. You don't yeah. need to necessarily go back and you're ready to get off the course. See, yeah. Oh, how, how many circle usually, ones did yeah. I hit in regulation? Like, you know, I shot six down. That's all I yeah, really care so about. Usually, right? right. Yeah. If it's like within that day, you know, I have pretty good, you know, uh, memory of you know what happened on most every hole and stuff like that but if i had like a a really good round where i felt like i made a bunch of circle twos i might see like oh did i you know how many of those did i hit but uh i've been trying to focus more on how many times you know like for the driving stats of how many opportunities did i actually have to birdie you know because that's one thing I'm trying to work on, you know, just, just having more opportunities, you know, from driving because the putts will hit when they hit. But if you're not getting opportunities to score, then it doesn't really matter. You're just putting for par at that point. Right. So going into the MVP open, I'm going to kind of dive back into this event here real quick. You were sitting on the season, your season C1X percentage going into MVP was 92.31%. So at that point, you are less than a tenth of a percentage point behind your 2022 season total. Did you know that going into that event? And did you know that with a good event, you could pass 2022's mark? No, I, I, I had no idea. I, I, cause I, for that event, um, I was really trying to look more of t- towards like the point standings cause I knew I needed probably yeah, a podium yeah. finish to make the tour championship. And I, I played very good, but I did not get that. And so that was the, the first time not making the tour championship for me since I started touring, obviously the strength of competitors has increased every year, but so I was pretty focused in on, on that aspect. So no, I did not know. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, I'll give you the full scenario here. So you were 0.08 percentage points behind your 2022 mark heading into MVP. So not, not unreasonable, right? Like if you had a pretty normal event for you, uh, it was likely that you were going to pass that mark if, as long as you had enough attempts. Uh, if you didn't miss a putt at MVP, you would only need to make seven or more putts and you had the record locked up good to go if you missed one putt you would have had to make 19 putts so you would have had to have been at least 19 for 20 or better and you would have had the record so right there i mean that's all but locked up from my perspective because uh, you're definitely going to have 20 attempts and if you're allowed to miss one, I think you're probably good. Very feasible, I would say. If you missed two, however, it would get really hard because then you would have had to make 43. So you would have had to be 43 for 45 or better, which as a percentage is not unreasonable for you, but just getting 45 attempts in that four-round event, not guaranteed, right? So in sure, my head, yeah. I sum this up as if you get fewer than two misses, 
you're good. And that's exactly what you did, like we said, going into the penultimate hole. 40 for 40. It was all but locked up at that point. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Hey, I wanted to ask you, yeah. what would you be doing if you weren't a professional disc golfer? Like what, when you were a kid, like what did you think you were going to be doing or want to be when you grew up? Um, oh shoot. From, from when I was a kid, that's a good question. I know, know the, um, man, I don't know. Uh, I, I've always wanted to like own and like run a, a, a golf, you know, uh, golf club or something like that but that was from when sure. i was super little and that was actually my, my first job was a you know cart boy cleaning carts for a golf course but you know it's pretty expensive to dream about that so that was pretty unrealistic but the um the other thing i could think of would be uh what would possibly be uh, a coach for basketball I did that a co- for you know a couple years as an assistant coach for the college i played at so that could could have been a career path i guess as well very cool so how is your uh, yeah 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 how's your golf handicap uh it's not too bad i've been able to play a lot this year thankfully so nice it's around like a 10 a 10 nice yeah that's really good very good the round i played this weekend i had four pars and i was ecstatic (laughs) it was a pretty short course too i don't don't even want to tell you how it was uh i think let's see it don't matter yeah, par 72, I think it only came in at like 5,600 yards, but yeah, it was yeah. fun. They made, they made it hard. Still. They had some uphill par fours and all that, but yeah, I felt good. I still don't know how I... Hard enough as it is. Exactly, yeah. I still walked away with like a 113. I don't know how the hell that happened, but <laughs> ah. <laughs> anyways. anyways. Who's, who's the best ball golfer on the disc golf pro tour? I don't know for sure, but the best I've played with is Luke Humphreys, and I would, I would assume he's probably the best. I, w- I would be surprised if he was more than you know a couple handicap. He's if not scratch golf, he, he's definitely wow. super solid. Yeah, I, I knew he was yeah, good. He's, he's, I've heard he's Drew's bit. pretty good too. I don't know if he's as good as Luke, but I'm not sure. I've not played with him. Yep. I remember Brody trying to make. Uh some of the bigger events and qualify for some stuff. And he was definitely pretty good when he was playing a lot. I don't know what he would shoot now, but yeah, good stuff. So you alluded to this earlier, Andrew, but uh, especially like looking at the 2022 season, but also this season, you tend to finish really hot, especially when it comes to putting. If we look at your putting, specifically C1X putting, the last two years, starting roughly the second half of the season, uh, I kind of drew a line in the sand and I said after July 9th. I picked that date for a very specific reason. I'll see if you know, but we'll get to that in a second. These last two years after July 9th, if we take those two halves of the season and merge them into like one super season, your C1X percentage is 96 point eight nine percent it is so unfathomably close to 97 percent. i can't even wrap my head around it and it's in a span of almost 500 attempts it's 483 attempts and you missed 15 of them it just doesn't even make any sense and where we drew the line in the sand for that july 9th there's a very specific reason for that. I'm going to ask you, do you have any idea why we chose that date? I would assume it was probably round one or two of Idlewild last year. That's exactly the one. So it was round two of Idlewild. Uh, not your best performance. In fact, I would argue it was possibly your worst putting performance, definitely in the last two years and maybe in your career. Uh, unfortunately going 10 for 17 in C1X, so that's seven C1X misses. However, starting immediately after that final miss of that round, you made your next 93 C1X putts in a row. So that is exactly the streak that we alluded to earlier. And of course you finished that season putting like 97 point 
something percent for the rest of that year. So just absolutely hit the gas. Uh, you mentioned earlier changing your putters. Was it correlated to that round in particular, or did it just happen to be around that same time? Um, hard to say for sure. That, that that was the the first tournament with the new putters, so maybe you know the lack of okay. practice with the new plastic, I guess. But I, I do remember very specifically. Uh, that's why I guessed round one or two of Idlewild because I didn't putt yeah, very yeah. well. As I, I know I. I I had very high expectations for that tournament. And I think after even like the front nine of round one, I was winning and then it went quickly downhill, obviously. But, um, gotcha. gotcha. I, I remember I had a, wasn't playing very good and I had a couple of really short putts that I probably putted a little bit too hard and spit out on me. So I remember having a, at least two s- center spit outs on that tournament. So that probably oh, didn't help either, but I made sure not to miss again, I guess. So for comparison, that streak where you're just under 97% in roughly 500 attempts. I mean, I've got a plot here, a nice little graphic of where that like combined season, if you will, where that would compare to all of the best C1X seasons, uh, single seasons, so like not combining two halves of a season or anything. And it is just so... Like, it's in a world of its own. So, for comparison, what you did this year compared to the last half of this year plus the last half of last year, we're talking about you had, like, 140 more attempts uh, in the full 2023 season but your percentage is like 92 and a half compared to this 97. We look at your season in 2021, which we haven't talked about that season yet. Um, that season still remarkable because there have only been seven player seasons since the start of the DGPT that have had over 90% C1X. Three of those seven are your last three seasons. The other four are Eagle in 2019, Macbeth in 2019, uh, James Proctor this year, and Corey Ellis in 2021. That one being that, I'll call famous, 93.2% season, but had a few... It it had pretty few attempts. Um, I'll use your 2021 season as a reference here. So in that season, over 90%. So that's already a top seven season of all time. It was 90.4, I think, percent in fewer than 400 attempts. And then take this like combined super season where you had 85 more attempts and like six and a half percent higher c1x just like it's it's really hard to convey this without seeing the graphic but i hope i'm doing somewhat of a good job we'll obviously post it to the instagram we'll we'll tag you so you can see it and then everyone else will get to see it too it it is like probably my favorite graphic we've ever made it is that cool Yeah, what what happens in the second half of the season? Is it just the the type of events and and the the sort of courses that are on on tour in the second half that you you feel like you can put so much stronger? Yeah, um, I think it's probably a good correlation to a, maybe a couple of reasons. Um, you know, the, the the first is the style of courses. Is you know, in general, the last half of the season is more wooded, so on average, probably less wind. And I think I, I put better, you know, through trees anyways, cause it's gives you a better depth perception, you know, maybe not so much for circle one putts as circle two, but I always find it easier to put in woods just how it is. And then, um, I think the other reason is I tend to play the second half of the season better, just the style of courses, um, or I just happen to play good, you know? So, Sure. I think obviously if you're playing good, you're probably putting better along with driving, you know? So if you're playing better in general, you're probably making a lot more of your putts than, sure. you know, yeah. struggling to fight for cash at some turn- other tournament. Right. You're probably not making all your putts like that. Yeah. Great point. 
I would say we timed this pretty well here because we're like just about to hit our one hour mark. And I think we really only got one question left that we haven't asked you that we wanted to. So we will get right into it. Mr. Marweed, who is the best putter in the world not named Andrew Marweed? (laughs) That's a great question. And take me a couple seconds to come up with an answer but even take, if i do come up with time. an answer it might not be the right one yeah so i'll, so I'll, I'll while you think on that i can few, give my but, answer yeah sure. so i think for me it comes down to some combination of james proctor especially after the season he had and we'll maybe devote that to a good portion of another episode but his season this year was extremely impressive especially in c1x uh, you got to look at Gannon Burr, I think, more so for the Circle 2 numbers. He's still, like, far above average in Circle 1X as well, but the Circle 2 season that he had this year was so unbelievably the best Circle 2 season that has ever been had that it's ridiculous. So I think that makes him a very high pick there. And then you have, like, the Eagles of the world whose putting numbers are always really high. They... He doesn't have nearly as many attempts year to year. I think especially these last couple of years, he hasn't really played as many events. Uh, Ricky is a guy that people always go to, especially like they think the circle two, the Raptor legs, right? All that stuff. Um, I think you still got to ask yourself if he's in the mix, but I don't think he quite makes my top two or three. Um, I, I think I'm leaning towards Gannon, especially just with the circle two season that he just had. That was insane. But Joey, what do you think? I think if you asked the two questions, like C1, C2, I think C2, I go, you got to go Gannon. I I think that's the, the objectively right answer. I think, I think C1 personally, I'd probably go, go Eagle. I think just... Uh, you know, he he doesn't have as many attempts like per season as Gannon, but he's just been doing it for longer that I think you got to give him a little nod for that. But yeah, I think and it, he's, he's like never given us a reason to think that with more attempts, his number would drop, you know? No, like, for sure. It, it's for still sure. a very good sample size. Of course, of course. And I think like, I think if you say like overall, like C1 and C2, like who do you consider the best putter? I... <sighs> Best putter not named Andrew Marweed. Let's make best putter not named Andrew Marweed. That's right. That's right. I think like raw numbers, I'd probably go Gannon. But again, I I gotta look at like a little bit more seasons to like make a call like that. And I think for that reason, I'd probably pick Eagle. I think if Gannon does what he's doing for like one more season, then I think I'd I'd probably go him. So Andrew's actually our our boots on the ground guy. So he's the one that actually gets to play with these guys and, and watch them in person. So we'll, we'll see what the man himself thinks. What, what do you got for us? Yeah, no are, pressure. So that, before I answer, I was say that was a, a pretty good list you had because I was just trying to think of a, a top five first before I narrowed down to one. And the only person you didn't name from the top five was Paul. You see, yep, you sure. said Ricky. Yep. So it was, Paul was the other one. But um, cause it's really hard from when I started. You know, I looked at, Paul and Ricky being the elite putting, you know, Paul um, being, you know, more spin, but also in the middle for Spush. And then Ricky being, you know, a push putter, which has now developed uh, either a strong push or strong spin. He does both of them. So those are the two mm-hmm. OG elite putters I think of. But to answer the question, um, I-, I would say Eagle overall. And then you guys definitely nailed it. Um, Gannon obviously is the superior circle two putting expert. I don't think anyone is really close to him. Um, but the, if there was to be someone close, it would be Eagle. Just the fact that he can make a putt from 10 to 90 feet and it looks the same. And just yeah, the fact yeah. that he's always on, you know, lead card under the pressure and all those kind of things factor into what makes a great putter. But I think my vote goes to Eagle as well. Pretty fair. Another thing that kind of surprised me, Uh, I was obviously, we did a lot of number crunching and someone whose name has been coming up a lot in the upper echelon of C1X putting is Colton Montgomery. And I don't know why I just like didn't see that coming, but he was very near the top this year, very near the top last year. 
just very consistent at like that 88, high 88% type mark. Uh, like definitely a very consistent top five type guy for the last two years. So thought that was kind of interesting. Do you want to know a fun, fa- a fun fact about that? I yes. love fun facts. For sure. I, uh, I, I lost to him in a virtual putting competition. I think it was two ah. years ago. So I would concur. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't <laughs> be as surprising if you would, if you had told me that about him beforehand. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I was thinking that earlier, Joey, when you were talking about uh, all the players that you looked at who were like in reasonable contention for the career stats. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that you that you didn't mention him, and I I don't know that I would have either. Like, I just wouldn't have thought about that if I hadn't seen the data right in front of me. You know, right? It's just it's not something that's like as publicized. I would say. Sure, but yeah, maybe yeah, it's something cool. we have to look into. All right. Cool. Yeah, that's really all we got today. Uh, Andrew, we'll give you a chance to to say anything you might have not got the chance to say that you wanted to, and then we'll wrap this up. Sounds good. I think um, looking back at it, talking about the plastic change, I feel bad for not telling everybody what the plastic type was, which is a segue to, you know, buy my putter type of stuff. So, yeah, Splatterstone Steady BL, that's the, the name of the plastic and the name of the mold. So I got my signature on that. So pick up one of those putters if you want to put good. Yeah, I'm going to have to try them out because I've got a stack of two of them in my lap right now. Uh, I just picked these bad boys Perfect. up. They feel great. I like how shallow they are. I'm definitely a shallow putter kind of guy. I meant to ask you this too. Um, Joey gives me crap because in like 2020, 2021, I was putting with the Fierce, which is like a really shallow beadless putter. Kind of like the Steady BL, just not as stable, right? It's definitely more understable. Uh, And then I transitioned to putting with a different putter that's beaded and it's kind of like a judge. And uh, now I'm going to be back on these Splatterstone Steady BLs, which are beadless. And he was like, how can you just jump back and forth between beadless putters and beaded putters? Like, how can you have no preference? Um, Obviously, I'm going to assume that your preference is beadless based on the fact that the Steady BL is beadless. But does it really make that much of a difference to you one way or the other? Um, I guess to me, yes. You know, once I went beadless, never went back type of thing. So, uh for me, it was it was mostly a you know a release point, um, you know timing thing. I felt like the bead would sometimes get in the way of that, and you know this was I haven't putted with the bead since probably my first year on tour, even if not before that. So uh, it was a uh, uh, Casey Pro AVR that was so worn down and didn't have a bead. So once that <laughs> one finally broke, it didn't make sense to keep putting with beads anymore. Sure, sure. Cool. Well, you heard the man. I, I This is normally where I would say, if you want to put 92%, but, you know, having a Splatterstone Steady BL, I, I hate to tell you, uh, not probably not going to help you put 92%, but it probably is going to help at least a little bit. Uh, the athlete does still matter, so, you know, buy the Steady BL and practice. You do you do need both halves of the equation. So <laughs> For sure, exactly. Couldn't set it by myself. <laughs> all right, that's all we got uh, for this one. Keep looking out for the off season. You know, yes, it is the off season, but we're gonna be trying to do some more of these. Maybe get some other players on here, see what they're up to this off season, bring you some more season level stats, uh, which usually we don't have the time to do during the season. And yeah, catch us next time. And until then, peace.